Let me tell you something. First of all, I by the way, quick hurting put up big numbers today. Go on. What's that? I went to the back to the gym. Had I heard people. that you were in the gym because I talked to Dana. Yes, I was in the gym, and I love that you're in the gym. Now, for me, I'm not when speaking of gym. If you like to laugh, Omaha, Nebraska, the Funny Bone. This Friday, Saturday, you come out. I got two shows Friday. I got two shows Saturday at the Omaha Funny Bone. You come see me. I'll make you laugh. If you're in, where are you going to be this weekend? Uh, I am. This comes out tomorrow, right? So uh, Thursday night, I'm in San Diego at San American Diego. Comedy Company. Ooh. And guess what? Daddy's taking a week off because guess what? Flights are a billion dollars. They are so expensive. It's a billion dollars to fly now. Dude, it's driving me nuts. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, you're going to be in San Diego, San yeah. Diego. Okay, I'm in San Diego on Thursday. That's the ninth, And then the following weekend, Eddie Bravo, myself, we're going to Tallahassee and Jacksonville. Wow. Okay? And you better come out and see us because those flights are one billion dollars when people ask is everything a conspiracy the answer is yes who and what is controlling everything and why they they practice sorcery i can't argue against magic <laughs> i don't know what it is that we live on but i believe it's a realm this realm that we live in is the lowest level of heaven highest level of hell Chicken snake gods and the Anunnaki and sorcery. If Sam says the chicken snake god is running everything, I'm literally in the world of crazy. <laughs> I'm winning. <laughs> You're losing. Conspiracy Social Club, aka Deep Waters. Deep waters, deep waters, deep waters, deep waters. Now, here's the thing. I got to, before we start, now, Sam's always talking about the dark arts. And, and the Black Brotherhood, the White Brotherhood, yeah. And I'm looking at, he's a druid. That's fucking druid behavior. He painted his nails black and he's got, I don't know what that chain is. Now I have, I have a chain. This is a Roman coin. This is a fucking Roman coin. Jesuits, Jesuit guy, coin. Yeah, this guy is wearing a chain that's made to keep somebody bound up. That's a silver chain, which means vampires can't get out. Something's Brother, going on. It's there. gold. Don't kid yourself. I'm Armenian. Okay. We just do That's gold. That's white bro. gold. That's white gold, brother. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Tell me about our guest. final final announcement. Our guest is sitting nicely. Please go uh, if you like the show. Let your friends know that you listen to free versions of it on iTunes or wherever they listen to the show. Just go to Apple Podcasts, put in Conspiracy Social Club, and uh, leave us a, a five-star review. Say what you love. Say what you love. Say what you don't like either, as long as it's with a five-star. We don't care. You can tee us up. We don't yeah. give a shit. We're grown-ass men, okay? Fuck it. Now, wait, hey, it. Hey, Anthony, is my is my like camera angle on, straight on the way Sam's is? Do I, or no, I you're down? off, dude, you're to, off the to the side the... like some weird avant-garde fucking student. There you go. How about there that? Go. Perfect. There we go. Perfect. There we go. All right. All right. So I'm All very right. excited. Let's get into Brian, where are you at right now? You're in Texas. I'm in Florida. I'm in San Antonio, bro. And I got two shows uh, tonight. We got two one shows guy Saturday. in Hawaii. Anthony's in Hawaii. And we'll find out where our guest is. Brian, you may be the first man in history to take L's in four different time zones. So this is going to be a really <laughs> big show for everybody. L's in four. He's That's got right. L's That's in different right. area codes. That's not right. Area codes. L's. Okay, so let's get into this. Uh, this gentleman has, uh, I've been having him on my show for the last, I'd say, year, two years. He's part of the Union of the Unwanted. He's one of the biggest 
if not the biggest content creator on Rockfin. And he's an OG of this whole thing. He is he, he created an amazing doc, which is the gold standard of conspiracy, we'll call it at this point. Docs, it's called Loose Change. And uh, it's a it was a game changer and people are still watching it today. Uh, that, yeah, this, so Jay, Jason actually created the doc because this went around everywhere. I, I had so many people saying, dude, look at this documentary called Loose Change. This is nuts. Okay, and can I, I introduce I, him, Brian? Can I? What's can, that? He's been sitting quietly. Yeah. I do this. I introduce people. Please welcome Jason Burmese. How are you, brother? I am good, Sam. And I'd just like to thank you for having me on, especially in light of the fact we're about to hit the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And obviously, you know, not only watching your stuff, but Rogan's stuff and Kalen's stuff for years. You know, I think that Brian is extremely pragmatic. Um, I think that he dismisses a lot as kind of coincidence or incompetence. And I hope today to kind of maybe push him in the direction that maybe he will entertain the idea that 9-11 is not an inside job, okay? It is an international intelligence operation with role players, yes, in Saudi Arabia, but also in Pakistan, Israel, and here in the United States. Man, so, man you just went straight for anal, huh? I you didn't it. even come in, no kissing, no, I'll marry you if you give me this. Give me the butt, nothing like yeah. that. Jason, do I say your last name? Do I say your last name, Burmas? It, it's Burmas, Burmas. It, it sounds like an I, it's an A at the end. And uh, it's kind of a Burm ass without that second S. So. I, I like it. Jason, Burmas. how old were you when you made Loose Change? Cause you look like a young guy. Uh, I'm not that young. Uh, I'm gonna be 42 in like a month and a half. Oh, okay. But, uh, but you, young, uh, dude. That's young. you look very young. Well, thank you. Um, what's, the, uh, what's the nationality? I'm liking, I'm liking the skin. I mean, I'm very impressed. You know, that's hilarious because everybody um, thinks that, you know, I'm either Hispanic or Spanish. And depending on where I've moved, like when I was um, doing my follow-up to Loose Change in Texas, uh, outside of Austin, I was doing Fabled Enemies. And hopefully we're going to show you some of that today. But um, immediately, uh, my Mexican neighbor across the street came over, just started wheeling Spanish at me. And <laughs> I, I had no, I go, brother, I know I look dark. I'm actually half Italian, even in... Uh, Middle yes. school and high school. Paisan. They my nickname was Paco. My name is Paco in my uh in my <laughs> yearbook all the way from getting into college and all those things. But you know, it's kind of it, it's one of those things where you just kind of roll with it and, and continually right. that happens to me. But it, it also gives me that edge of where, you know, I'm a content of character guy, especially in these days. Um right. you know. And it just shows you people have preconceived notions right. just like right. they do about quote unquote conspiracy theorists, Brian, until right. they sit You're down right. and meet these people. You know what I mean? And actually talk to them. And look, there's crazy people out there. There's plenty of things. Uh, you know, Sam will tell you the first time I was on his show, you know, he was talking about this Q stuff, maybe two, two and a half years ago. I think Tim Dillon was on with us. And I was like, brother, <laughs> not real. <laughs> and I mean, I, I hammered on him all the time about why this was real and why that wasn't. And I try to stick to the stuff that I can factually prove. And, and that's what we're gonna do today because with all the you know loose change and the attempts at debunking a lot of the physical anomalies of loose change, we don't even have to talk about that today. Instead, what I Biden on camera, back when he was just a Senator, um, I had him in my scopes because he had met with the head of the Pakistani ISI after 9-11. Now this same guy was um, in DC the entire week of 9-11 meeting with the who's who 
uh, DC cream of the crop from George uh, Tenet, who was the head of the CIA, to uh, both Porter Goss and Bob Graham on the morning of 9-11 that would head that initial commission. And of course, Porter Goss will later become the head of the CIA. Um, Biden actually gets on TV about three days later and brags about his meeting with this gentleman. Uh, his name is Mahmoud Ahmed and how he is the most powerful man, if not the second most powerful man in all of Pakistan. So I thought I would lead in with that because that's actually something I didn't put in my film. But what I did put in my film was Biden being confronted on it because General Mahmoud Ahmed wired $100,000 to Ada the week of 9-11. Mohammed Ada. Correct. Yeah, we need, we need to be, for people who are listening, so the ISI is essentially the Pakistan's a secret uh, service, an intelligence service, um, responsible apparently for uh, su supporting a lot of the, like the Haqqani network and a lot of terrorist networks. Um, and and it, so it's significant to always keep in mind that um, when they found Osama bin Laden, he was in a, he was literally a mile away in Abbottabad, Pakistan, a mile away from what was essentially Pakistan's West Point. And so the idea- Watching porn. Yeah, and the idea that Pakistan didn't know that, that he was there is hilarious because Pakistan made, makes a lot of money from the anti-terrorist initiative, the, essentially the money that we give Pakistan to fight terrorism, um, right? So I just wanted to put that out there. No, yeah. I'm glad you talked about that because, you know, we go all the way back when they were helping us run that network against Russia with Osama bin Laden as our ally. Right. And we, we called them, them, call them the Mujahideen rather than, than, than Al-Qaeda al or um, the Taliban. Taliban just means, Talib means students. So they were students of the Quran. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, you can go back to, I, I think it's Rambo three when we're, you know, beside the freedom fight as yeah. they were called. At the, yeah. I got to speak know. to Sylvester Stallone actually about his experience there. It was fucking wild, man. And he, he's an expert horseman. Do Brian. Realize he was a, yeah. Go on. Sorry. Supposedly he makes dolphin porn. No, I, 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 I love this because again, it kind of humanizes all this material. And I think it'll be more impactful when people realize here's Joe Biden when he could still speak. This is Joey B. This is <laughs> zombie Joe. You know, this is what he's like, full-on gangster making yep. his run. And uh, I'm just going to play this clip really quick. Oh, wrong one. Sorry, guys. I forget. This, this is awesome. I'm already so excited. All right. All right. So here's um, Brian Gubble. We're just going to play a small little clip of this, and then we're going to get to some other stuff. Biden is the chairman of the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He's on Capitol Hill. Senator, good morning. Good morning, Brian. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, sir. Um, as the uh, president and uh, all of his administration seeks to uh, build a coalition preparing for the day when retaliation comes, you had a big meeting last night, I understand, with the uh, head of the Pakistani Secret Service. What can you tell us of that meeting? Well, their their counterpart to our CIA, Bryant, and uh, it went incredibly well. Quite frankly, I had uh, a long discussions with the State Department and the Secretary of State and with Mr. Armitage, who had met with them already before I met, so I knew what had already transpired. And the bottom line was, I told them what they told them. They've got, they've got to choose sides. There is no question. You're either our friend or you're our enemy here. And uh, I am confident uh, that uh, this is at least the second most powerful, if not the most powerful man in Pakistan. They will be cooperative. Uh, it so let's just stop it there. Okay, so that's just him talking about it. But what's really interesting to me, and let's bring up uh, a little piece of the film, is that, like I said, General Mahmoud Ahmed, now he wires this money uh, to Ada. Now, the 9-11 Commission will tell you that it was only half a million dollars for the entire operation. Now, this would be one-fifth of the funding if that was true. Now, there's a middleman that we'll get to a little bit later because 
It was facilitated through a guy named Omar Saeed Sheikh, but we'll get there. Okay. I want to just have that graphic up and I want to show there. Here's Bob Graham talking about the classification of this information. And if I bring it back, there's Bob Graham actually talking about that meeting. Here's here. Here he is. There's Goss. And let's just bring that up quick too. Cause Bob Graham at the time is a Senator in Florida. Didn't hide the fact whether we, when we met with him in Pakistan and when he was in Washington, that he was close to the Taliban. Uh, that that was his job to be close to the Taliban. Graham would go on PBS. So he would go on PBS, kind of talk about how these, you know, and a lot of this did eventually get classified, declassified about 15, 16 years later. Here's um, Colin Powell discussing the same thing about the meetings, actually denying that certain people met with them that we found out did, such as Condoleezza Rice. Um, here's met, met with who? Met with who, Jason? Uh, All with... these people had met with Ahmed because he was right. in D.C. The, he the was the head of, he was the head of the ISI, yes. Yes, absolutely. So here's, um, this will lead into uh, Joe on the floor of the Senate threatening Pakistan and then uh, being confronted about his meeting and basically likening it to diplomatic immunity and we did not arrest Khrushchev when he came. Floor. And the word should go out to those who pretend that they wish to be our friends, that they're going to have to make some very difficult choices. Pakistan in particular is going to have to make a very difficult choice very soon. Words will not be sufficient. Actions will be demanded. When Biden was confronted, he confirmed his meeting with Ahmed, saying Pakistani intelligence was indeed funding the Taliban. Sir, sir, uh, question. In the days, in the days following 9/11, you met with the head of Pakistani ISI, General Mohad Ahmed. It has since come to light that he ordered Saeed Sheikh to wire 100,000. Muhammad. Why was he allowed to go back to Pakistan? And why was he questioned? And why were you meeting with him? I, if it, we would take him up. Why did we let him go? First thing called diplomatic passports. We did not arrest Khrushchev when he came. But he financed the hijackers and you well, let him go and he's free. He hijacked the fight. Is, is that Luke Rodowski? By the way, wait, wait, by wait, Jason, this yeah. is news to me. This is news. You know what? It's this news is news to a lot. Of this is news to me that that uh, that uh, Muhammad. I'm sorry. What's his What's his name? Who ran the ISA? Because I read that book Rector S about yes. this stuff, and I didn't even yeah. read that. General uh, Mahmoud Ahmed, who's the head of the yeah. ISA. But the thing is, we're going to get into that middleman in a minute. So that, I want to. So, so, so we now know that that Mahmoud Ahmed, the head of the ISI, the head of Pakistani intelligence, wired Muhammad Atta. $100,000. It gets Holy much fuck. worse than that, Brian. You're going to, I really hope I'm going to open your eyes on this one. What the, because if you, wow. If you think about that, that is state sponsorship. But what it, what, yes, what, it is. Yes, what, it is. What, what's even worse is that bin Laden in a January, and it's in the film also. And I really hope you check out the whole film. But bin Laden was actually protected by Pakistani intelligence on September 10th, surrounded by the military in a hospital there. And you could whistleblow in the hospital rather put it out in january of that year it got almost no press but i want to um just play the rest yeah. of this quickly indeed classified oh, okay fuck. sorry got, guys sorry. i've got kind of a backup of audio if you need that of course i'll have to edit that part out but what, yeah, that's good i love this dude this is great 
Great. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you're, you know, it's not something that's quote unquote enjoyable, but it is true. <laughs> I'm all fucking ears, dude. All right. <laughs> so, Shut up, Sam. Stop gloating, Sam. <laughs> so when we get to uh, this gentleman here, uh, Ahmed Omar Saeed Sheikh, this is the guy that really births the horror beheading video with Daniel Pearl. And for those that don't know, Daniel Pearl is this uh, Jewish journalist. Wall Street Journal. Yeah. 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 That ends up going uh, into the Middle East looking for uh, Pakistani funding and gets targeted and kidnapped. And then, of course, has to denounce Israel and all these things on video and ends up being beheaded. Now, Omar Saeed Sheikh actually gets convicted of that. Now, another really interesting thing about this is much um, earlier than the actual bin Laden raid, um, which is a little bit suspect to me, I would say Seymour Hirsch did a whole piece kind of deconstructing that and what he thought were lies. That's his last mainstream piece ever. Like that's, I think, 2016. I don't think you can find him anywhere else. Hirsch is going to come up way later in this program. But he is, Seymour Hirsch is a a journalist um, who did a uh, um, w- w- say that again for me, please. So, so Seymour Hirsch, I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, the Pulitzer Prize winning yes. journalist, um, yes. his last really large mainstream piece. Now, I would argue the biggest mainstream piece that got play before that was he the, he was the one that was taking all those WikiLeaks, including the C-130 videos. And he also exposed Abu Ghraib and what was happening there, including the rape of children in front of their parents for intel and all sorts of horrific things that never got published anywhere else. Jesus. And then uh, I would encourage people to read Hirsch's piece on that because that's what really broke open the black sites when people were actually anti Getmo, anti Abu Ghraib. Yeah. In fact, in the salt 2000- pit, the salt pit, the CIA salt pit, all those places. These, these, these. We, we, we are, we were complicit in, in the torture of, 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 pers- of people. I mean, that's a, that's a fact. I mean, if not are these are black sites. We know very, very little about them, Brian. That's and exactly I, I would- right. Yeah. Torture and murder, I should say, because people did die. They were chained to walls. They, they froze to death. They were hung until they died. This this is a this is a fact. This is not this is not fucking uh, conjecture. We know. Well, this here's the craziest thing, Brian. The person who created this whole torture techniques and program was made the head of the CIA. <laughs> well, you mean you're talking about the woman who is who ran who ran that. He's talking bloody Gina Haspel, who who ran some of these black sites um, and then under the Trump administration got brought in, Um, you know, kind of going back, because I think there's a lot to talk about um, Saeed Sheikh, because his story is far from done today. Okay, you know, you know, we're doing, by the way, just so you know, Jason, we're doing a we're doing a follow up after this. We're doing two conspiracy social clubs with if you so if you guys think we if we don't get enough information we're doing at least two because i'm yeah. fucking in here Keep all going. right good I, listen brian I, I'm, I'm excited man because this really does show the coordinated cover-up and as you know plausible deniability is everything misdirection yes. is everything when you're doing these things and i think when you have a slogan like 9-11 was an inside job automatically people go, well, George Bush isn't smart enough to do it. You're damn right. He's not <laughs> like that's, right. that's someone who was, uh, you know, puppeteered all the way through. In fact, before Barack Obama, before Donald Trump, he was the uh, least qualified to take the office. You know, he'd only served that term as governor. It wasn't even a full term, I believe, before he announced, but a whole nother story. So right. Omar Saeed Sheikh, the Daniel Pearl thing, big. But if you remember Benazir Bhutto when she was making her political run and there was all sorts of talk of whether bin Laden was even alive before the raid. And remember, they found a lot of weird stuff at the raid. There's, uh, again, go read Hirsch's piece. There's enough cloudiness there that who knows what was happening. She had actually accused 
uh, Omar Saeed Sheikh on television of murdering Osama bin Laden. Okay, I just want to put she, that She on. was later assassinated, people should know. And she was later she, assassinated by her own bodyguards. And not only assassinated, it took two times. She There was an attempt on her life. And, yes. the, and when she was actually assassinated, we're talking about first gunfire and then them, someone not know, being in the know and then an explosion that basically finished the job and took out many people in that direction. <laughs> a, a highly coordinated assassination. On yes, that yes. So when you look at what's going on with him- and By now, the way, Bhutto, for you guys listening, Bhutto was the president of- uh, Pakistan, essentially, it wasn't she? She was the yes. Like, well, she prime was minister running president. at the time, and it was her right. father who was a former president. At, at he was, time. and he was hung by Al Haq before that. I mean, the Butos took took it. They they got the fuck kicked out of him. Yeah. yeah. And, and because people don't understand all these dynamics, this is going to be a little odd. But the thing is that right now, Omar Saeed Sheikh has been let go. He is in Europe right now, being protected. And I've been doing stories on this. Because you know, I want to know what's going on. Just is two he days one of the ago. guys who was just released from uh, Gitmo? No, 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 no. Um, is Saudi he still Arabia. alive? Is he still alive? Oh yes, he's he's being protected right now in Europe. Is what I'm telling you. He's wow. he's been let out. They released him. The guy who murder. was responsible for beheading um, Pearl. Yes. They released him. Okay, listen, this guy has, that's the thing, what I'm trying to explain to people is that although there's the Pakistani ISI, double and triple agents do exist, period. Yeah. And they work together in these networks where there's plausible deniability, where again, a lot of the things that they work with aren't the three-letter agencies, but these proxies and shell corporations that they set up. Brian, I'm not sure if you've uh, read this new article out of Newsweek just this week, but I would, ex I would say everybody needs to take the time to understand what this is, um, but, this is but this is a program called signature reduction okay and this was yep. published on the 17th of um this this month last month in in may and basically it's going through a signature reduction yeah well if you look at it it says inside the military secret undercover army but signature reduction is the first time i've been even heard this term this is the program that's also running in the united states um domestic terror units where you name it, they're doing it. There's never even been a congressional hearing on it. You talk about continuity of government, you can't believe it. And I'm just going to show so they're you. Breaking, they're breaking the firewall between CIA and FBI. CIA is actually involved in domestic. Everything. Uh, wow. So what you're looking at right here, Brian, it looks like a hand, right? Yeah. Well, let me tell you what it actually is. <laughs> that is a um, glove that actually goes over your hand, can pr pretty much have any biometric fingerprint put on it and emit oh human oils. Oh, my God. Oh. And that's in the article. Anybody can check that out. Um, there's a lot more, but it evades fingerprinting. So these people now have the tools to kind of evade their own um, bio net, biometric network and surveillance system. Crazy, guys. When we talk about, for instance, just quickly the capital thing, uh, I would encourage people to read Annie Jacobson because she does it. And it would be great for you. You know, Rogan had her on. Uh, a while back, but you can get all of her books in audio form. So when you're on the road or whatever, you can just listen to them if you'd like. She started with Area 51, quickly realized this wasn't about little green men. And these were about black projects. And she takes you through DARPA. She takes you through Operation Paperclip. And she takes you all the way up now into First <laughs> Platoon and the biometrics used and utilized in the war on terror in Afghanistan and Iraq and beyond, right? Because people don't realize when they were 
getting information on these villages. They were taking their bios. You know, they were taking their I, 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 uh, iris prints, everything. You can see wow. 2003 movies when they were doing that. Yeah. And now they're bringing that here. And she talks about this battalion that was using this and certain people being targeted with this technology. And it's frightening, for instance. Well, so, you know, so for me, what I've been worried about, and, and if I know about just this, you can imagine what they have. So one of the things is they have a laser that can, that can pinpoint your heartbeat and your heartbeat beats at its own signature. So you can, you can literally shoot a laser or whatever it is into somebody from 100 yards away and know exactly who it is. Facial recognition, already Delta asked me on, on when I was, you know, I was checking in, they said, here, do you want your face? You can just have your face red. So if that's already here, what the fuck else do we have? We do know, I do know this, Jason, that there, there was the CIA woman who had had a meeting with, I think it was Trump or Obama, she was a woman who's responsible for the disguises and she pulled her fucking face off and it was, he thought he was talking to the, one of his aides. So that's how good this shit is going on. So oh no, my um, God, you know, really? It yes, was dude, actually he was talking so to the president and the woman was talking to the president and pulled her face off and the president went, what the fuck? This is the kind of stuff we're dealing with, dude. You're talking actually, about masks. It's, it's way before them. Um, that's actually George uh, Bush Sr., and his CIA, I, I call oh that. Oh my! It goes back. Right it goes back that far, Jason. Yep, there he is, right there with the woman in the mask that worked for him, and then she pulls it off right there. So, Come on. Uh, yes, that's uh, that's that old, my friend. Um, I, you oh, know, man. I've been covering this for a long time, Brian, and you were talking about basically type of directed energy weapons and technology, not just long but short range. And the White House uh, just disclosed this month that they have two attacks within D.C. that they've now yes. acknowledged called yes. Havana Syndrome. Yes. Um, one in Arlington in 2019, and I believe one in the Ellipse in 2020. So and it happened first in Havana, right? Where it was these, these energy things where people just literally completely discombobulated, had to, got re really sick immediately. And, and when they walked into that room, that happened. And when they come out of the room, they were fine. This is fucking nuts. Yes, absolutely. Ah, yes. So, I, I mean, you know, again, let's bring it back to 9 11 because there's so much more, man. Okay. Um, one of the other things that uh, to me is kind of a mythos that people don't understand is that the FBI was incompetent. No, the FBI actually actively protected a lot of these people. And not only did you have certain um, hijackers living with and renting from FBI informants, but some of these people were training on US bases. Now, a, a little bit of that is out there, but then um, for instance, in my film, uh, Fabled Enemies, the vice chancellor over at the uh, Monterey School uh, Language Defense School in California, said four of those guys were there and had been protected and they knew about it. That's in my film. Now, one of the guys- Kalina, four, of, four of the hijackers. At four of the 19 people that they had uh, said, he, they were at the, you know what, let's just bring it right up. And you're That's being fine. careful not to say hijackers. You're saying four of the 19 people that were accused. Well, you know what, here's the thing. It's very hard for me, especially, I'm not saying that these people weren't involved, but you look at Ada, for instance. You know, they painted these guys very much as these radicals, et cetera. And, you know, when they weren't the radical jihadists, they were disguising themselves because their good book let them. Well, you know, Otto was running blow in Florida and dating strippers. Yeah. Like straight up, yeah. you know, and uh, there's uh, Daniel Hopsicker. Uh, he, he's got two really uh, good works and we disagree on a lot. I've had him on my show before. We've gone back and forth. Um, but again, you've got to look at everybody's work and use discernment. So he did a book uh, called Barry and the Boys way before it was cool on Barry Seal and the CIA drug running, right? And uh, that book um, kind of inspired a little bit what you saw with the Tom Cruise fictional portrayal of Barry Seal, which is very fictional, by the way. 
Uh, for instance, the cover of Barry and the Boys in the movie, for those that don't know, American Made, um, they kind of portray that Barry Seals, this bad boy running cigars and the CIA then recruits him so he can be their drug runner in this uh, highly elaborate, um, you know, Iran-Contra scandal, which people only know pieces of, you know, uh, one of the great proxy networks, for instance, is a lot of people don't understand those weapons they were running. Israel was getting those weapons from Czechoslovakia and Poland, and they were shipping them down, and then they would be paid later, giving you that extra layer. You know what I'm wow. saying? Wow. Um, and that's actually it's so film. hard. It's so hard to keep up with foreign intelligence agencies because they have so much money, and you just don't know. And that it, plausible deniability, uh, 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 using masking agents and all that. How the fuck do you? It's it's crazy. Jason, all right, let so, me ask so something. This is, key, this is great. I've always said with Brian that basically all these intelligence communities, yes, they have some national interests, but for the most part, in my humble opinion, they're all like working together and they're all pretty much a different department of the same organization If in, in, a, in a when you pull back. So when right. you pull it back, you know, it's been interesting because we're gonna get away from 9-11 right here. Yeah, let's keep going. Let's get back to 9-11, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Brian, I asked one question. Can I just have no, my let me, one just, question? Uh, let me answer it real you quick, selfish Sam. fuck. Let me answer it really quick because um, I think it's really important. Um, there is a certain document that I've been talking about a lot lately because a lot of the things that I've talked about is this um, transhumanist movement. And, you know, everybody's always talking about NASA and how Chicks we're going to dicks. the moon and we're going to Mars and fucking Elon Musk is our buddy. He ain't our fucking buddy. He's we're not going to the moon. We're not fucking going to Mars. Okay. And we're not doing it with rockets. I'm not saying we haven't even been there. I'm saying they've been hiding propulsion technology and inventory from us for decades upon decades upon decades. And again, if you read what's out there, especially the Jacobson stuff, you'd be hard pressed not to. Now, when you say, are these things all sort of the th same thing? Well, this is a PowerPoint. This is the abbreviated version from NASA called Future Strategic Issues. Now, you can get the 138-page version. I would encourage that one. The guy at the top is a guy named Dennis Bushnell. Okay, he's the chief scientist at NASA then. He's the chief scientist at NASA now. All right, and let me just show you some startling things about this future warfare document that, again, you see, why is NASA involved in future warfare? We get in a strategic initiative, um, the Star Wars program, the 80, all that. But just take a look at this, because um, I think this is very important, is that when you look at it, this is a presentation based on all those things you just said, bro. DARPA, DIA, ONI, sure. FBI, all those things. And what's really interesting about this, again, this is a, he was touring in 2001. This has a date of July 2001. All right. So, for instance, they predicted that the bio nano era would start in 2020. Anybody that knows anything about, for instance, this vast vaccine and what mRNA is, it was developed by DARPA. It is bio nanotech. Now it's not nanorobot tech, like those type of things, but nanotech. Nano meaning, nano meaning nanotechnology, meaning small, like, like, like uh, robots the size of red blood cells and all that stuff. This but, is but not robots. They, this so far, they're not putting, at least with the mRNA technology. Right. Now, I could go on and on about this, but this is a warfare document that I've absolutely covered. And Dennis Bushnell, you know, I've got him on tape talking about population control in 2011, instituting it. I've got him on tape then saying that they had already instituted now human brain interfaces, AKA brain chips, 10,000 human beings with brain chips in 2011. I believe all of this, Jason, but yeah. so much of this is <clears throat> this, this, this race for 
to get a technological edge, right? So in, in my opinion, human beings are competitive and they're certainly tribal and, and they get into groups. And, and there's no doubt that the United States, as far as this whole being a, a world conspiracy, America, Americans, Chinese, Japanese, whoever they are, they tend to be tribal and they stick to their own. And what, what I think is going on is we have this crazy race for technology and a technological edge in robotics, in nanotechnology, in, in gene editing, and all of this stuff. And so many people, these futurists are saying, if you're not, if you don't know what's going on with nanotechnology and tissue regeneration and synthetic biology, then you are so behind the curve, you're about to be hit with a tidal wave. And it's gonna be a technology, as you're saying, that's going to, I think, take us by such storm. And there is no doubt that human beings are going to mesh with, with machines, that, that we are going to be, literally, we are gonna be transhuman. We are pushing way beyond our biology. And in fact, what you and I think of as, as human is going to be so obsolete. This machinery that you and I are speaking from is going to be, it's just a fact. And it, what, what, I, what I think is, and look at, look at CRISPR-Cas9, the, the creator of that said, we need to take a, a pause globally because we are going to be able to mesh, create humans that not only mesh with fucking machines, but also mesh with other animals. Whatever you can imagine is gonna happen. And, uh, and so as far as it being a conspiracy, I think this is just the inexorable rise of technology that we've been warned about from fucking, from uh, as, as long as people could imagine what was gonna happen. The Terminator for Christ's sake is about this. This is, <laughs> not, this is not, this is actually real. No, so this is a realm, Brian. Brian, it's a realm. Brian, it's a realm. They wanna trap am, us here. I am, That's uh, what they're doing. If you, notice, if you notice what with the next thing on there, though, was virtual and they don't know how long the bio nano era is going to be. And when yes. you say virtual, um, you know, we could talk about the singularity. We could talk about curse. Well, we could talk about all that technology. And I'd like to do that on a further episode because we yes. were way beyond. We're getting yeah, we're already getting way Brian, <laughs> you're out. Jason, you're in. Welcome. But, as but, my new co-host. But, but listen, I, I listen. A lot of those arguments. Job. Let's bring us back to 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 what yeah. you were talking about. I, I want to get back to. Yes. to 9-11 and I want to get back to what you're doing now guys I'm sorry that we went off on this tangent but, but I want to get back to you're doing such a great job of explaining how that, that the players involved like the, like Pakistan like the fact that uh, ETA uh, wired a hundred thousand dollars to one of the hijackers Muhammad Atta let's let's start there and let's let's keep going because this sure. is fucking fascinating so <laughs> The other thing I was trying to explain was a lot of these guys, in my opinion, were absolutely protected. And we're going to get to the testimony of actor James Woods that almost nobody knows about and was actually leaked. OK, and it's James Woods. Be, damn. I, exactly. Right. Which which is is going to throw everybody for a loop. But first, I want to preface this with, again, these people, uh, a lot of them had ties to U.S. military bases. So this is a small portion of uh, fabled enemies here. On September 15th, 2001. Newsweek reported that U.S. military sources have given information that suggests five of the alleged hijackers received training at secure U.S. military installations in the 90s. Zayed al-Ghamdi, Ahmed al-Nami, and Ahmed al-Ghamdi listed their address driver's licenses and car registrations as the Naval Air Station in Pensacola, Florida. Another indication of how the hijackers were tied to U.S. bases was reported on September 12th by Fox in D.C. They stated, congratulatory phone calls were made from a separate aeronautical school in Florida, which suggests inside help for the hijackers. 
Now, here at Embry-Riddle School in Daytona Beach, investigators say that they did indeed intercept cell phone calls that originated out of here, calls that were congratulatory after yesterday's attacks. Calls the feds say were made by terrorist sympathizers here in Daytona as well as in Broward County. The New York Times would report that the Defense Department said that Ada had gone to the International Officer School at Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama. Abdul Aziz Alamari to the Aerospace Medical School at Brooks Air Force Base in Texas, and Saeed Al-Ghamdi to the Defense Language Institute at the Presidio in Monterey, California. The wow. Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs at the Defense Language Institute where Al-Ghamdi trained went public and said, Bush knew of the impending attacks on America. He did nothing to warn the American people because he needed this war on terrorism. He was quickly disciplined and threatened with court-martial. So that was wow. Stephen Butler. And the next people that I kind of want to get into. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Stephen Butler said that? Who, who is Steve? He's, he's the vice chancellor yeah. of student affairs at this particular, at this particular naval uh, base where they, they were, these guys got in and were trained? At the Defense Language School in Monterey, California. Mm -hmm. He was the vice chancellor for student affairs at the time. And he wow. didn't get reprimanded. Um, um, I know it sounds wild, but again, none of this was making mainstream news, right? So one of the guys I'm going to focus on to kind of get to this whole James Woods thing is a guy named Khalid Almadar. And Khalid Almadar is important because he's the quote unquote lead hijacker on um, flight 77. And that's the, the flight that allegedly goes into the Pentagon. He kind of has this auto type role apparently. Now remember, these are different cells. They're not necessarily supposed to know about one another or meet with one another, Brian. But what's interesting about this is that it seems, and we only know that this is uh, an Almadar incident. And I'm going to play, hopefully, this really quick um, clip of James Woods talking about the FBI coming to his home, um, I think, the day after the attacks, after he called them. Why would they be coming to his house? Well, it so happens that he's on a flight uh, just prior to 9-11, the details of which are very sketchy in this interview. And we only find out the details of which after a hack by a group called the Dark Overlord. But we'll get into that in a minute. And the Dark Overlord hacks are about two years old now into the details of, of what made me suspicious of these four men, although it would have been blatantly obvious to the most casual observer, uh, I took it upon myself to go to the flight attendant and ask to speak to the pilot of the plane. The first officer came out. I reported to him that I felt that the four men, and I said, can you look over my shoulder and see who I'm talking about? And he said, uh, yeah. <laughs> I said, I think they're gonna hijack this plane. I mean, everything they're doing, and I explained to him these details, which I've been asked to keep private until whatever jurisdiction, you know, uh, whatever trials may take place. By the way, none of this ever makes the 9-11 Commission, but let's continue. Uh, their behavior was such that, uh, that that I felt they were going to hijack the plane. I found out later that not only was did he make a report, but the flight attendant also made a report of my suspicions to the FAA. My friend Scott said to me, you know, remember that flight you took in August? I said, yeah, I've been thinking about it all day. He said, well, maybe you should call the FBI. And I said, I'm sure they're being inundated, but I thought it over and I called the local office. Quarter to seven the next morning, I get a phone call that actually wakes me up. And he said, uh, we want to talk to you about the flight that you took in August. I said, oh, did the, did the manifest match of any of the flights yesterday and my flight? He said, well, we can't tell you that. I said, well, look, I'll get ready and I'll, you know, I'll come down to the, uh, to the federal building. He said, we're outside your house. We'll just wait wow. for you. Wow, 7.15. <laughs> so this I, was quarter to seven in the morning. I said, uh, and I, and this is the only funny part of any of this. I said, how did you know where I lived? And there was a pause. He said, uh, we're the we FBI. We're right. the FBI. And so <laughs> wow. all this happens. And now I want to reiterate the importance of that. So what you're looking at here is me going through um, some hack documents. And this happens to be not 
um, testimony for government, but there were a lot of lawsuits. So there was a group called the Dark Overlord on January 1st, I think it was like 2018, said they had five big dumps and they wanted a million dollars in Bitcoin and they had encryption. Anybody could download all the files, but then the keys would come out during certain levels, right? Now, the first two levels were actually reached and then the third somehow leaked and then we never heard from them again. There were some arrests um, with the Dark Overlord. What you're looking at is James Woods, as you can see, uh, being questioned about this very incident. And basically what he says is it was flight 11. It was in August, just before the attacks. And Nawaf Al-Ghamdi and um, Khalid Al-Madar were named on that flight, remember? So they, so he, so James Woods was right in his suspicion. Well, not only is he right, but we have to believe now that Khalid Al-Madar, who's living with an FBI informant, and uh, just for people to see that, I'll show anybody oh can look at That's on the Justice Here Department. Here we are again. The FBI knows something early again. I mean, way early. I mean, he's living with them. So anybody, even this is out of org.justice. You can read that special report on it. And a lot of it is whitewashing. Remember, there were FBI agents like Robert Wright and Barry Carmody that were in tears talking about how they knew how the money moved prior to 9-11 with Yasin Qadi and others out of Saudi Arabia, and they had been blocked. So Al-Madar is the main guy that he's talking about here, but he ends up doing 77 and not 11. Now you're going to tell me that a pilot of a plane, okay, uh, a stewardess and a celebrity all file reports prior to 9-11. These guys got on with no luggage. They're all in jumpsuits. They're casing the plane and nothing is done to any of them. That's a that's a long haul without being pr protected. Again, well, but uh, to be fair, James Woods did. <clears throat> I feel like he did. Um, he did report it after they got off the no, plane. So right no, off the no, plane. I mean, I'm saying you no. Know, while they were on the plane, but I'm saying the, the 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 stewardess and the pilot would have probably when they landed the plane reported as a formality, right? Because they get off the plane and they probably reported it as a formality. They said right? they so, took it very seriously in this and he named sure. the FBI agent. Seymour Hirsch tells him because he did an article for the New Yorker that never got published, by the way, mm. <laughs> um, or, or um, that basically all of his story was true and that the FBI had filed a report prior to 9-11 on this as well. And I want to get to, Jason, I want to pause for a second because sure. with all this information, what we're getting at, in your opinion, is that this was that these hijackers who were probably either doing a dress rehearsal or in this case, maybe were about to whatever they were doing. Um, they, these these guys who who had at least FBI or CIA or American intelligence, let's just say, support um, um, or, or some foreign national support because they got into uh, training that they, they, we know that that they actually were trained on U.S. military bases. Yeah. Yeah. So something fishy is going on here. Right. So let uh, me go you... even further than that. So this is yet another part of yeah. my uh, film that largely gets ignored by the mainstream. So now you have the FBI being warned. What if I told you that Diane Albright and a neighbor to another sect of these guys living across the street she was so suspicious she didn't call the police. She didn't call the state troopers. She didn't even call the FBI. She called the CIA on them. <laughs> so who is Diane Albright? Who is she just happens to be a neighbor of the hijackers prior to this happening. So let's go okay. to that. Again, for this protection angle. I think that some of the neighbors would be shocked to find out that a suspected terrorist lived right down the street from them. But at least one woman we spoke with was not surprised at all. 
Diane Albritton was so concerned about what was happening inside the home at 502 Orange Street, she called the CIA. Why was she suspicious? The odd coming and going, um, the different rental cars, the odd looking people that came and went. At that time, she says the agency was not interested. So you have all these red flags that these guys are being protected. Now, I also have this gentleman here. Uh, this is J. Michael Springman. And he happens to be one of the guys that issues visas in the late 90s. Okay. Um, we won't play it all. Hopefully, you'll just check out the whole film, uh, Brian. But by, so you... by the way, to be fair to people, you know, if, if you're going to call the CIA, like, who knows who she got in touch with? Like, the, you're talking about a massive bureaucracy, a massive organization, right? So if, if, you, if I were to call the CIA and say, hey, there are terrorists next door, maybe now, today, but before 9 11, I can just see somebody going, all right, well, whatever, call the local police, because that's typically where they would send you, right? So some of this stuff is, I, I, that, that's less convincing mm -hmm. of, a, of a neighbor who calls somebody. What I'm really fascinated with, Jason, is, is this, this fucking, the, the, the information that these hijackers were being trained on U.S. military bases. They, they were being trained in flight simulation, right? Some of them. Yeah, some of them. Okay, uh, some, uh, of again, them some of them. Well, well again, it, it's tough because... You have um, the guy at the defense language school talking about certain certain hijackers, but then not naming them. We only had one record of them. Um, there's only flight training going on with a few of them. However, um, what's interesting to me is 14 of the 19 guys get their visas from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And uh, this gentleman, for instance, Michael Springman, says that he tried to blow the whistle that these people were basically um, being let in. Um, without any type of, um, you know, credentials. He was Permits, being forced real to quick. He ends up resigning. And Before you start this real quick, can you also uh, talk about Brennan and his role? Like, because there's a whole theory that he greenlit, he gave basically work visas or green cards, or I think it's work visas to all of these uh, quote unquote hot, you know, hijackers. I don't think Brennan can do that. It's a, that's a, that's another bureaucratic process of Sam. You know I, what I'm saying? Like, I think that that's a lower, so you know what I'm saying? So I think that a lot of times when these guys get these work pieces, but some of that CIA, stuff be, the head of CIA says, let this guy in, let, or a guy who's in line to be the head of the CIA yeah, says, please give these guys work visas. What do you think they're going to do? Brian? All I can say no, no. is this is yeah. that you know, the man behind me basically says he doesn't name Brennan or anything like that, but he's told that he has to give these visas to these people. And he talked to someone else within his agency. He does not name that person. And this is, a, <clears throat> I believe, out of uh, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, that at the time when he was doing this in the late 90s, they were indeed working with the allied bin Laden network. Yeah. And who is he? Who is this guy? Um, this guy is uh, uh, Michael Springman. And he was uh, he worked at the consulate. So he was yeah. uh, the visa department in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Okay. So he basically, um, you know, that was another thing. I, re I remember I found him because he'd done a CBC interview in Canada uh, after 9-11 questioning this entire network and the hijackers themselves when he found out 14 of them came from his base where this was going on. Um, yes. And then you find out again, they're in, um, <clears throat> they're in U US uh, bases. And, and like I said, you know, you look at the FBI stuff and, um, you know, they have the, the informant stuff. We were going th through all this. In fact, uh, John O'Neill, I don't know if you're familiar with his story, but uh, John O'Neill is this FBI agent who's in charge of bin, the bin Laden unit. His frustrations are over the top. So he leaves. And he becomes so we, have a lot of, we have a lot of, Jason, we have a lot of personnel in the CIA and the FBI, especially, 
who are all who are sounding alarms, blowing whistles, and 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 we find this out later. So so whatever's going on, there are people who are involved in anti-terrorism who are saying, hey guys, something's fishy here. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to pause here and because I'm going to go to the bathroom. I got to pee really badly, but but let's just pause, Anthony, no. because I want to come back. Jason, and hold I, on. Let, and, as he does that, real quick before we pause, Jason, tell him where anything you want to promote, like your Rockfin or anything like yes. that. Sure. Yes. Um, please come over to Rockfin. Brian's right. You know, right now I got uh, yet another strike. I got two strike, two strike ones in one week in YouTube. I can't stream over there. It's this whole thing. Uh, they finally got back to me after 13 months of demonetized. They've been censoring real information that's helping save lives like ivermectin that is now being proven time and time again in these studies to not only prevent, but treat COVID and a very cheap drug. And remember, that's what they hit me for first. It wasn't me saying it. It was me daring to play a Senate hearing with Dr. Pierre Corey talking about cited studies that were readily available. And I was able to show people. So that's it's amazing. Censorship we're up against. Rockfin yeah. is important, and it has empowered me. Um, without this platform, I would have not been able to move my family out of the hell pit that is New York State right now, and into Iowa, and at least try to fight some of this Orwellian draconian nonsense that continues to go on to this day. And especially with big tech, because when you have the same actions going by the big three, and that's Twitter. Facebook, AKA Instagram, because they're owned by the same people and YouTube, you know, it's collusion. And the other thing is YouTube, Google, Alphabet, they're an extension of the national security apparatus. For instance, Google, and I talk about NASA, has been in bed with NASA in quantum computing and AI development for the last two plus years. Now, this is going to be another episode. We got to get into that on our next episode, but let me, let me pause. Go about, yeah, okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> I had, Hi, someone, idiots. I had somebody come up to me at a show and they're like oh my gosh i recognize you you're the voice in the podcast that we never see <laughs> this is fucking dude this is jason this is awesome like, well thank you listen brian again you know i i think that a lot of you know your skepticism you know resides in the fact you hear more of the wild stuff it's in conversation it's not presented in a digestible way. Well, listen, everybody loves a conversation, right? But that's the difference to me anyway. But between back in the day when I was, you know, working in the pizza joint with my buddies and we were betting on whether this guy was in that movie and you had to find somewhere to look it up and then print it out and then you could prove it and collect. Now we got the magic box, you know? Well, and, yeah, yeah. And a lot of this stuff though, you know, Jason, is like when you're a journalist, and you're working for a big organization and you come up with these like theories, you can come up with those theories, but if you don't have, like, again, you're, you're dealing with, I kind of sympathize sometimes with media because they, if, if, if you're going to take on the apparatus that is intelligence, you can get debunked right quick, right? You, you can see why a lot of the shit is really hard to even bring up because you'd have to go down the rabbit hole like you've done and nobody has the, the patience, the time, and there's a fuckload of foot of pushback from God knows where, right? I mean, you, you, you can't just be a journalist and be like, well, by the way, I'm on CNN. And do you guys know about this, that, and the other thing? And people go, well, yeah, but there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of gray area, right? I mean, it's Paul, really I hard get to, into, once you go down this. Yeah. Okay, I yeah. want to get back to 9-11, but I want to ask some, because this is something that we talk a lot about on this show, is Brian does not understand and maybe i'm wrong but this is how what i've learned through my research is that 
uh, you know, it's not that these reporters get it wrong. I think a lot of them are basically towing the company line and doing what they're told to put out this information. Like the woman from the New York Times who helped push weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And she's like, I guess I was wrong. She's like, no, nah, dog. You knew you were you're you're part of the propaganda machine. Thoughts on that, Jason? Well, I'll say this. Um, you know, Operation Mockingbird was real. It was outed. I don't think it was ever discontinued. You get into the Cast Sunstein days under uh, Barack Obama, where they literally wrote in the legislation to legalize propaganda. Not that they had not been doing that. Um, but just to just kind of talk about a narrative now, um, which I think is problematic. That's being pushed by the media is this uh, leak theory, right? I've spoken out pretty heavily against the leak theory in the sense that I think it's going to be what is the leak theory you mean about the the uh, the virus coming out of a lab as opposed Absolutely. to a wet market or death well basket? I'll say this like first of all I, I covered this from January of last year from the very beginnings of when you were starting to see it I even laughed about it I didn't think it was come by February it was very different um, when I was reading everything I could on it a lot of the things that kept coming up was this relationship to HIV. Now, you know, you had the Lancet study, um, you had Cotton talking about uh, the lab theory long before that, but a guy named Luc Monnier, who had won the Nobel Prize, really caught my ear. He won, I believe, in 2008 for his work on HIV, French, um, and he basically said, look, these proteins, they have to be inserted, period. He's like, right. it just, there's gain, no gain, way. Gain of, gain of research. Well, gain uh, of function that, research yeah, and, and function. amping it up is one thing, but you found, I believe it was like the P2 gene. And I think that was the gain of function part that had this relationship to HIV. In fact, HIV um, is referenced several times now in these emails uh, with Fauci. You know, that well, what, I, what I think is also interesting, Jason, is that we're actually, now the mainstream media is actually exposing a lot of these things, right? They are, so the mainstream media is actually saying, hey guys, guess what? I think we were wrong. There might have been a leak. So that's, well, that's always my, my problem, against Brian. <clears throat> I don't think it's the leak. That's my problem. Um, you know, okay. you gotta remember who that's coming out from. That's that's like Pompeo in them. <laughs> like, do I trust Mike Pompeo? Probably <clears throat> not. And yeah. what about yeah. the Spars playbook? Uh, are you, do you have any thoughts on that? Because what's happened to Fauci and Bill Gates is somewhat mentioned in that where they, basically burn the straw man, the guy at the front to uh, make it seem like, oh my God, they got caught. Do you have any thoughts well, on that? I, I did a spars um, episode as well, but not in the sense that most people did. I did it more on the censorship aspects and their admissions of setting up uh, these vaccine funds and therapeutic funds for those they knew that would be injured by neurological damage. And then I focused on the Epi girl, um, which they had as a fictional uh, blogger vlogger that was using open source uh, information, including CDC, FDA, and VAERS data um, that was more influential than what was being put out by those same organizations as their talking points. So they censored her. Um, as far as, you know, other uh, kind of war games, obviously I want people to look at event 201. I've done watch alongs with that, but my problem with the leak theory is this, you know, you look at China and they came out and said this was a U.S. bioweapon. Now I'm not saying that's true either. But there are 1.2 billion people there. And just like I don't believe that, you know, 9-11 is the U.S. government did this. And we're, all, we're already kind of breaking down these different aspects of how you kind of compartmentalize this and have a rogue network. Why does this have to be state sponsored? All of a sudden, I'm, I'm hearing more and more, for instance, about the United States versus China. Red versus the good old U.S. of A. 
But then you look at, for instance, you know what we talked about Google not really being a, a private industry. Well, when you got Eric Schmidt, you know, the CEO and founder for a very long time and then gets a ceremonious position while he's on the National Security Council. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's and no doubt. There's, 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 the biggest threat is that corporate, to be, to be a corporate player, you got to play ball with the, right. Okay, you got to play ball with, you, if you want to be a corporate player, the biggest threat is that you have to play ball with your government masters. And, and, and my, my worry is these, this marriage between Washington, which has grown so fucking big, and, and corporations. So what happens is it becomes an economy of influence. You are not doing business in America without having a lot of good friends in Washington. That's something that any libertarian or anybody who's into free enterprise will, has been warning against for the longest fucking time. It is, you, you must have a lobbying presence in Washington if you, want to do, if you want to do business. And that's the problem whenever people talk about how government grows, the dangers of, 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 of the Leviathan of government being bigger is that they have untold influence and there becomes a marriage between the most powerful in corporate America and the most powerful in government. And now you as a citizen are no longer represented and we are seeing this. So in that sense, I'm very well, aligned with Ryan. The, the, yeah. Let me just say this, you know, you keep saying America, 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 corporate. Well, my thing is that Eric Schmidt helped develop Dragonfly for the CCP, you know, which is already yes. kind of integrated all this yeah. corporation into their government. Well, it's big money. It's big money. How do you, yes. how do you not, how do you not incorporate when China's going to give you a billion dollars? I mean, so, so, so all of a sudden now China's interests become uh, American corporate interests and for vice versa. That may not be a bad thing overall, sometimes in some ways when it comes to market, like share and getting cheap goods. But at what price are you, at what price is that TV you bought, Here. that flat screen TV made in China, at what price there are hidden costs and blowback to this stuff which I think are very important to explore. But I want to get- Hold on, just... hold on, hold on, Brian. I'd like to say something real quick after yeah. that long rant you just went on. Yes. Uh, here's my fear. If you take the World War II model, okay, and how these global banking cabal funded both sides, and what it was done was like, there was a real movement because, you know, my humble opinion, the, the Nazis didn't lose. Then the Germany lost. And that was done- purposefully because Germany was starting to rise up and that was going to be a problem for in particular the British banking system which has set up our monetary system that we use globally so what I'm seeing right now is I think is a duplication of that game which is let's destroy let's not just destroy Germany but we also destroy Europe to rise, to make the rise of America into a superpower. What do we see going on with China right now? We're seeing the rise of China into a superpower and who are they fighting? The older superpower, which would be like, hey, let's destroy this superpower. Now China, which we have a system, which is they are completely gnarly controlled. Now I will tell you, I've been to China. There's degrees of what we're talking about. There is a lot of red scare propaganda going on, but I, I have been to China and I got to be honest with you as an expat, it was kind of great. Now I'm not saying I want communism in any way, but there is some yellow fever propaganda going on where we have this fight and there, and dude, they could easily fucking torpedo us to make this global system the, what they want in the world. And that, I, that's a real fear for me. Well, you're, you're, clearly, you're clearly a Chinese plant and we're gonna get to that later. <clears throat> because 
The only thing about Sam, said not Jason, to talk Sam about and I will forever disagree because Sam has this idea that they is this group of people that are controlling everything and, and that they're all evil. Uh, I, I have a different point of view, which I think like, just like technology, just like global politics, things when money's involved and, and, and you have an ability for people to manipulate a system, you're going to get, you're going to get, um, power starts getting concentrated in the wrong hands and specific hands and that's how human beings behave longer conversation i want to get yeah. back to 911 jason for i want to take a pause here as we're go, as well, we're deciding again this. i want to i want to, i want to, i want you i want you, I want you no know, i want you in this pause to to for for right now as a, as an intermission to say to kind of give me after all your research around 911 i would love for you to give me your theory on what you actually think happened uh, September 11, 2001. I want to I hear what you have to say, because for me, as, as a guy who, who's read some books on this stuff, not gotten down the rabbit hole like you have at all, I, I, what I believe was that you go all the way back to the invasion of Afghanistan with the, with, with the Soviets. This gives rise to the Mujahideen, which we start to, we start to support. That, like anything else, we pull out. Now you got a bunch of men who have weaponry uh, and they're Islamic. Uh, the, the, the fuel for that was Islamic fundamentalism. Saudi Arabia is a player. Everybody's a player in this. Um, uh, Afghanistan becomes sort of a sort of a wedge, uh, sort of a proxy war for people. And you get this fanatical group called Al Qaeda, and they start trying to push their agenda by by essentially blowing up American buildings and wreaking havoc everywhere. I'm sorry about that. That's a very no, lame, no, no, no. That's a lame. Not. That's a lame. But but I, I, we can go deeper. I want to hear what sure. you have to say about what you actually think from your all your research. What is the theory that you are holding on to here that you think ultimately, after all your research, is the truth? Sure. All right. So you know, obviously, that's going to take a little bit of speculation, but I think that I can name the role players um, very well. Now, I would okay. say, Brian, um, brace yourself for you're your words to make you. I got my seatbelt on. I got my seatbelt on. <laughs> where's your Where's your bike helmet, Brian? I want I, you to be okay. Shut so, up, Sam. I don't need my bike helmet. Shut up, Sam. <laughs> so even you know before we we get just to the point of what this is, I would suggest a book for you called The Big Wedding. Um, it's what supposedly was the code name uh, for this operation with Ada and others. It's by a guy named Sander Hicks. And it goes through a lot of that history in the eighties and nineties with the Mujahideen and, uh, the Muslim brotherhood, especially now, it's been years and years since I, I read it, but, um, I, I remember interviewing Sander and I believe he has a little place in loose change, final cut talking about the Pakistani ISI, which also is in his book. Now, and there was some of that with uh, Lawrence Wright's book, which won a Pulitzer Prize called The Looming Tower. He also wrote the book Exposing Scientology. Yes, The Looming uh, and Tower. I, yeah, and I love that book. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. So, About so the Muslim Brotherhood, how this sort of the origins of Islamic terrorism and fundamentalism. Right, filibusting. Like Let's go. Yeah. Let's hear no, it. No, 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 it's all right. It's it's A-OK on the filibusting. Um, it's almost <laughs> like I want to find this one part of another film that I did, and there it is right there. Perfect. OK, so I want to go back to 1993 very, very quickly. Okay, now in 1993, you have the first World Trade Center bombing. Now, Brian, what have I told you? That the bomb that went off in the World Trade Center in 1993 was actually built by an FBI informant who was a former Egyptian army officer who never got prosecuted because he, he taped his conversations with his FBI handlers. Okay, and he felt guilty after the fact because of course they assured him, uh, you know, he first wanted to make a bomb without, um, 
without any explosives in it. But they said, no, the prosecution uh, won't be able to um, make it stick on this, guys. We got to make a real bomb. Don't worry. Nothing's going to happen. And then it does. Now, right. if you have any doubt of that, that this was the, the World Trade Center bombing in 93 does not happen without the FBI recruiting an, an army officer who builds the bomb. Who, who's an informant and is in this and within and is in this terror cell, right? Yes. He is okay. the man with yeah. uh, the terror cell that, yes. uh, you know, was with the two people that parked the, the van. And apparently yep. the only reason that that did not work is they did not put it up against the main column. Whether that's true or not, again, that was kind of like the main direction of what they gave us. And the blind sheik was the person that they focused on. This with his yes. FBI handler, John Antisev, was released years after the trial. You got paid regularly for, for good information. I mean, the expenses were a little bit out of the ordinary and it was really questioned. Don't tell Nancy I told you this. Or well, I have to tell her, of course. Well, then if you have to, you have to. Yeah, because, I mean, the lady was being honest and I was being honest and everything was submitted with a receipt. Yeah. Right. And now it's questionable. It's not questionable. It's like a, a little out of ordinary. Okay. You know, the, all right. I don't think it was. If that's what you think, that is fine. But I don't think that because we was start already building the bomb, which is went off in the World Trade Center. It was built by a, a, a supervising a supervision from the bureau and the TA, and we was all informed about it. And we know that the bomb start to be built by who? By your confidential informant. What a wonderful, great case. <laughs> <laughs> so again, another part of history that is just completely erased. And I think that when, when I start talking about, for instance, what I think happened is you already have that kind of a network set up where you, you're able to bring in either assets like him or informants like him. And whether they get burned or set up is really based on their own behavior. And whether you're burning or setting up other terrorists is also based on what they're doing. And again, when you look at Iran-Contra, do you really think the government ever stopped dealing drugs or do you think they found proxy networks? You know, even uh, two or three years ago, Escobar's son said his dad was working for the CIA. He went on a tour down in South America. Now, again, I'm not saying that's true or not, but looking at what Ada did and all these people involved, and then you look at that and FBI informants. And yeah, the FBI would tell you. and see, the Pablo FBI Escobar and, was Hitler's kid. Anyways, go on. Uh, the, the, FBI, the FBI and the CIA would, would tell you, um, Jason, that in order to catch a bank robber, you got to make friends with other bank robbers, right? And and there's no doubt that if you want, if when you're trying to break up a terrorist network, you've got to you've got to infiltrate, figure out a way to make friends with these guys so you can get them to do something and expose them, and you got to set traps and all that. So that that to me sounds like good old fashioned police work, um, you know, in a lot of ways. So some some of the stuff is 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 just what it is, which is you you must get close to the people that are doing the work in order you have to, to build the bomb. Them. Brian, you have to build the actual bomb. You know, uh, there's you a certain so level where you can hurt amazing. somebody. And, and that's where it goes. So so getting, yeah. it, you know, and it's funny because you talk about these intelligence networks. One of the things that we didn't talk about that is integral in this is the Israeli aspect. But to break it down, what do we have yeah. on 9-11, in my opinion? I think you have an international intelligence operation where you've set up an infrastructure of war games to confuse those on the ground on what is actually happening, including planes hitting buildings, including false blips on radar that absolutely came out not only in the 9-11 Commission, but other open hearings um, out of Cheyenne Mountain that went on well beyond um, what happened in Shanksville. So a lot of people will tell you, for instance, the talking point is that the war games ended, Brian, as soon as that first plane hit the building, it did not happen. 
Um, they repeatedly, from NORAD in upstate New York, I was one of the first people to get the tapes. In fact, it was really ironic. Um, the NORAD tapes were featured in Vanity Fair way back in like 2000, I think five or six. And then the next month we were on the cover, not our faces, but like the loose change story was on the cover. And they said that we were conspiracy theorists. And then I went through and, you know, I have this in my film as well, them on the phone uh, with Cheyenne Ma Mountain in command, begging them um, to, you know, stop these war games. Now, warnings and war games is another chapter in this. They drilled this many times beforehand from um, hijacked planes hitting the Pentagon to also the World Trade Center. On the morning of 9-11, you had the same thing going on. You had hijackings coming out of Alaska and uh, across other parts of the ocean. So I think that was used to confuse um, when I talked about the Dark Overlord, for instance, what exactly happened on these planes is up for debate. We still don't have all the black boxes public. We have a lot of audio stuff. Um, but one of the things that came out in this Dark Overlord thing was they had, um, I think it was TPSCI. So they were, they were kind of sensitive. They were top secret at the time. And it was the provisionary chapters for the 9-11 Commission Report. And what I thought was interesting on Flight 11 in particular, there had been some reports of a gun on that plane, okay? And you never could find where they came. Well, you found them in this uh, chapter of the 9-11 Commission Report. I covered it on air, who had reported it, who talked to who, and I tried to go down that rapid hole. I couldn't find it. Um, I think that Ada and the team, I think certain ones may have been in the know that they were working for the FBI as an informant. Maybe they thought they were going to catch this terrorist group. Right. Obviously, I think they, that in some sense they had to be protected because you also had um, Operation Able Danger, where you had this whole other group of the military following Ada and his network during this war game that they tried to deny for years. Um, and they held he hearings on uh, um, Operation Able Danger. So when you talk about the U.S. role, that's what I think it is. I think you have people who are handling them. Um, I think you have people that are protecting them and then facilitating, for instance, this attack. Um, a lot of people don't know that four doomsday planes uh, were in the air on 9-11. Two caught on camera at the attacks of 9-11. Now, these are operational command centers for nuclear war. Um, there is one clearly on video. Hey, louder for the people in the back. Well, well <laughs> clearly on video. Um, you have one clearly on video before the second plane strike in New York City. So the idea that some military jet wasn't there is laughable. I have it on tape. And then okay, but, but so, 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 so I want to just, before we, again, there's so much to cover, there's so many details, but what I'm saying is that, it, it, are you suggesting that the, there were elements in the U.S. government who were coordinating with Pakistan and with Saudi Arabia and with Israel yes. to essentially stage an, a massive terrorist operation, i.e. planes flying into buildings, planes flying into the Pentagon, planes flying into that field in Pennsylvania. Yes. Um, so we lose four planes, I think, total with all those people on board. Okay. But, yes. But hold on, hold on, hold on. Four, yeah. so, 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 planes, yeah. I, I want to say this, there were more. And okay. when I say there, there were, were more, more. For, for instance, I, again, when, I, when we talk about the U.S. government, the evidence is overwhelming that whatever happened in that open field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, it wasn't just a downed plane. You have a debris field of eight and a half miles. Now, the debunkers, it's funny, I did an article for Esquire and boy, they wanted to debunk me on this. And he tried, you know, he went to the talking point of popular mechanics who I debated back in the day. And of course did that piece. And they say, well, back in the day, people would go on Google maps and Indian Lake uh, drive 
is about eight miles, but it's only a mile and a half away from the crash site. That is not what we are saying. What we are saying is they found debris, and I showed that debris in this um, interview with the Esquire guy. He had agreed to do my show after he put out the article. Okay. He found debris in, a, in an eight-mile radius, meaning uh, meaning that the, the plane didn't crash into the ground. It was blown out of the sky. Not only blown out of the sky, it, when I say eight and a half miles away, it was over a mountain ridge. <laughs> okay. okay. There was a large mountain ridge in New Baltimore, and basically the debunkers will go to Indian Lake and say the debris there had been blown there, but they won't acknowledge New Baltimore because it's clearly eight miles away. Okay, but so so what what uh, again getting down to it? So there's a there's a group of people that say we need an excuse to invade Iraq. We need an excuse to in, to essentially restructure the Middle East. Is, well, is this what we're talking about? I think that's part of it, but I think that a lot of it had to do with the pushback of the Taliban at the time. For instance, in the summer before, you had this uh, oil pipeline that they really wanted to go through, and there's this famous quote that the Taliban can either uh, take a, um, what is it, a trail of gold or a carpet of bombs, a carpet of gold or a carpet of bombs just beforehand. Um, and they didn't want to make this deal. And remember, the first guy they installed um, was an ex-Chevron uh, oil pipeline guy. Even Michael Moore covered that, right? Yeah, but but you still, so, so my, 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 my issue is, is that you're talking about hundreds of people coordinating to commit high treason I at the penalty of death. I disagree. Right, so, see, well, how many people would be involved? Brian, I don't think it's hundreds of people because, okay. for instance, like John Anasev, I don't think he's the guy when he's handling uh, Ahmed Salam that's like, I want this building to blow up. Right. There's somebody telling him, look, we need this for the prosecution. And there's Got probably it. somebody telling that guy. And maybe okay. the guy above that guy knows I the see. whole situation. So how many, like, how many people do you think were probably in the know? Because you've got to have them coordinating with in, according to you, your theory, you have to have them coordinating with elements of intelligence in these different countries, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, sure. Israel, right? I, Is I that, bet less than a dozen that were really in oh, the know. I really, oh, really? Don't think, yeah, I don't even think someone like Ada necessarily thinks that he's going to be burned mm -hmm. in a suit. I mean, again, the guy's doing blow and banging hookers. Maybe right. he's this jihadist. America. Maybe. But uh, we do know we do know that like the Kobar Towers, we know that the USS Cole, we do know that we did have an element of Islamic extremism that was willing to essentially uh, martyr themselves in the name of jihad. Yeah. Uh, do they? These... Are they? Do they? Are well, they? Well, that's not surprising that you have people willing to die for a cause. I mean, young yeah. men. We we know history is full of that. I'm not. I'm not. I, that does, this doesn't seem like a stretch. Somebody flew those planes into those buildings, and somebody was at the controls there. Uh, I mean, well, I, all right, so let's talk about that, Brian. Hold on, yeah. real quick, before we start that, Jason, I want to ask you uh, your, theor your, your, your opinion on the Dick Cheney on the plane with standing down. Do you believe that part of the story? It's tough. You know, I have a large section in my film um, about the timeline for Dick Cheney and whether he was in the PEOC that's the uh, Presidential Emergency Operating Center before or after um, Flight 77 hits the Pentagon, right? Now, my, my argument is no matter what hit the Pentagon, that should not have. Now, there were some reports that he was down there at 926, right? And then you had Norman Mineta on several occasions and under oath before the 9-11 Commission saying that um, a young man had come into the room, said the plane was 100 miles out, 50 miles out. Um, sir, the plane is, you know, about to strike. Do the order still stand? And he said, yes, the order st still stand. Have you heard anything to the contrary?
Now, since then, um, I, I have to be completely fair. You know what I mean? Um, I, I'm one of those guys that if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I remember in 2016, because constantly more information, and when we get to the Israeli part, hopefully we'll at least skim that. Um, we didn't get stuff till 2015. And in 2016, basically you had these photographs of uh, Cheney and I think Libby, his uh, chief of staff at the time, uh, was next to him. And dude, I mean, I blew up these old school Canon, um, you know, 18 millimeter, obviously not digital shots. And I'm looking at the TV that they're watching. I'm a Photoshop expert. I've been doing that for 20 plus years. These things don't look Photoshopped and I'm trying to get the time code on there. And I, I literally matched it up with live footage of that channel that I had archived, you know, cause I'm that obsessive. And I, I have to admit the possibility is that maybe Norman Mineta got it wrong and maybe he was not down there um, before what struck the Pentagon struck the Pentagon. I can't be for certain, but I can tell you that I've done my due diligence and again, I'm not in a cult. You know, if you show me information that's contrary, um, I'm going to at least talk about that. So, you know, as far as Cheney, I think it is worthwhile to say there's no doubt that he was in charge of the government post 9-11 for some time. That's kind of come out. But one of the very first things that I featured is that he was in charge openly for weeks through the continuity of government program. Again, kind of highlighting this idea of a puppet president is not new, like with Zombie Joe, right? But do you like, think he was running NORAD at the time of 9-11? I think it's like this. You know, we were talking about the, some someone had to fly those planes in, right? Well, yeah. remote control planes absolutely exist, number one. And number two, when you're in a deep, dark underground base in Iron Mountain, the real one, Cheyenne, underneath, and they're calling you up. 20 minutes after this thing is still going down and begging you to stop those inputs. Who's to say there's not somebody, listen, they're not, they don't even know they're flying it into the World Trade Center. You know what I'm saying? Like they have, a, a, it's not like there's a camera on the thing. They have a little dot. They've flown things that are UAVs before and there's a certain target. And uh, listen, I know that- Well, I, I don't like know, I don't know. I mean, Jason, you could also have people that are so down for the cause that they fly a plane into a building. I mean, absolutely. All, yeah, absolutely. We, we you know, know, we know have... that in, in Israel, Israel, these suicide bombings, we, we know that there, there were people willing to walk into crowded marketplaces and blow themselves to smithereens. It's not, it's not the Tamil Tigers have been doing, been doing this. This is not a stretch to believe that young men who are fanatics are willing to die for a cause and martyr themselves. We, we see this a lot. I, I don't think you know, I would say this, Brian, yeah. and I know that, that, you know, that's why I kind of wanted to stay away from the physical anomalies. But again, because you're asking if, you know, to me kind of theorize what's yeah. going on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say this, that not only did that technology exist, not only do you have the plausible deniability, not only do you have our fighter jets chasing these blips on radars outside of New York, Outside of DC, it's it's all on record. Again, it's in the film. You can watch it. You can watch again these people talking about it before the 9-11 commission. But but you also have the aspect of if you listen to the tape, some people start saying, you know, the, the other theory is perhaps, you know, they smoked everybody out and then they remote controlled them in. I, I don't know one way or the other. I think there's well, a lot of evidence. But um, you do know, you do know, and I, I want you to talk on this. We yeah. do know that one of the FBI, an FBI agent, she was a woman, had, had already, and it's on record, had a contact her superiors to say, there are fucking Arabic men who are learning how to fly planes sure. on a simulator, and they're not interested in learning how to land. 
Well, I, listen, again, I, I think that you have these guys training to hijack planes or obviously yeah. I wouldn't think that the James Wood stuff is valid. Right. right? I, right. And I think, I think that's absolutely true. I think a lot of that may be um, part of the part of not the cover story, but to make sure that it does happen. Because, again, the only one that doesn't hit its target is the one that appears to be shot down by a military aircraft. Who else would shoot it down? That's to me that there's no doubt what happened in Shanksville is not a plane down in an open field. There is no plane. Yeah, that to me, to me, that makes total sense where the military said, hey, we just got hit and they're coming, they might be coming toward Langley or 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 the Capitol. Or when by the way, there is no doubt in name of national security, I am sure that we it was absolutely it would have been considered appropriate actually to send an F-15 or whatever that whatever it is up there to down that fucking plane because that is a lesser of two evils if it's if it's headed toward the Capitol building, whatever it might be, you got to take it out. So to I'll me, jump in I totally quick. I totally can believe that. I can totally believe that mm. that was something that the military decided to do. My, my, my thing about this, Jason, is that we are we are really asking to believe that, that that 12 people, 15 people, 20 people uh, spread out across these countries were the ones who were able to organize and commit this sort of highly treasonous act. Mm -hmm. um, with American players, that uh, I can believe that the ISI would be interested. Uh, well, I don't know if they'd be interested in doing this, but but there there are elements in within the deep state that I I can see saying, well, there's a there's a geopolitical advantage to this. Um, uh, I can see that there's been a lot of theories on the fact that Ariel Sharon and his small cohort of people said, look, Iraq is the fourth biggest army in the world. They 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 want the destruction of Israel. We have Iran as a threat. We have um, uh, we have Al Qaeda's threat, so so let's let's figure out a way to um, get the United States to really take some action. That that was a theory. That was a conspiracy theory that was certainly around in the Arab world. And well, stuff let's like talk that. about the. the Israeli, oh, real quick, I want I, I only got, I only got ten minutes left, man. We're coming back. Guys, this is only you guys can suck each other off when I'm gone. Well, listen, but listen, I, I, I just want to ask a question. A because I want Brian to watch the whole film, and that way it'll be uninterrupted, un unabridged, and then we can kind of come back. But the, with the yes. stuff, there's no doubt, Brian. And that's what's really interesting to me is that that's been downplayed. So I just want to show, you know, this isn't even in my film, okay? But this is a story that really got no play. And there's a guy out there called uh, Josh Harris. And he has this really uh, incredible movie called We Live in Public, also did some crazy things. I've covered it. There's Josh Harris, He's one of the first like internet multimillionaires. Now it's hard to see there, but where my little mouse is, that's pre 9-11. And that is an Israeli art student group that has taken out there we go. the window. And behind them are a bunch of boxes for C4 explosives. Now this was an art group called Gelatin. Now later on- E-team. Uh, Later on, Josh Harris says that, you know, he loses all his money. He says he's being followed by the FBI, all these things to do with Mossad. In 2015, we finally get basically photocopies, not the original pictures of these guys that the FBI absolutely had, maybe a video of, of, I believe it's the five dancing Israelis, here they are, who were uh, filming and taking pictures of the attack as they happened, who ended up being, yes, uh, IDF and Mossad agents working in explosives, okay? Um, and, and this documentation is, is wild once it comes out. This is 2015-16. Now, I had covered a lot of it in um, Fabled Enemies because this is the first, this is the woman that calls um, the police on these people. Now, along with all this and everything that's going on in the madness of 9-11, you have these uh, 
trucks that get pulled over. And it seems like it's more than one. And bomb sniffing dogs find uh, that basically they have the residues of explosives. What's really crazy is that most people, I got to play it because we're skipping by a lot of stuff here. Um, but as you can see right here, this is an FBI agent. If you just read that little caption, I don't want to, boom. Is evidence linking these Israelis to 9-11 is classified? I cannot tell you about the evidence that has been gathered. It is classified information. This is less than six months after the attacks. Um, but what we do have, at least um, right here, they had penetrated the DEA, the FBI, Secret Service, IRS, INS. And this was a, a group of over 120 people that some had actually been picked up prior to 9-11. Some were picked up after 9-11. None were prosecuted. And they called them. We, we, we definitely, just to, just to pause, we definitely know it's not a secret that the Israeli, Israeli intelligence uh, does their best to infiltrate American intelligence and get our secrets as well. There's no doubt about that. Right. Okay. So this is what happens in international espionage. We have different all countries are always spying on each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to show how wide ranging the network is, every state you see in white, they had groups there. And whether sure, they were sure. posing as art students, they were also in kiosks of malls where sure. you remember those uh, helicopters that would go up. They would prop <clears> them up <throat> there um, on 9-11 on King Street. And I'm trying to find that part because I think that's really important. They, uh, and these are the Israelis, the ones that are actually in the um, photographs. And it, since it's translated, I'm not even gonna play it because it's you know not in English, but basically they say they were there to document the event. These are the people that have their faces blacked out. They were on a, a talk show. Now here is um, the van. Now more than one van, but what's really crazy is one of them did explode on 9-11. And these are the police that it happened to. And they had those guys on the side of the road and they actually, when you read that documentation oh, that came out in 2016, because this came out long before, they beat the shit out of those guys. <laughs> like they. Well, why, why would the Israelis, if this is the, the why would the Israelis, if, they, if the planes are going to hit the buildings, why would you also need explosives? I, I, it's a great question, Brian. Maybe I don't have the answer for that one. You know, again, a lot was going on that day, but to to not equate the two to see that you have a surveillance team on top taping the incident as it happens, having private not prior knowledge. To be then, fair though, you could, you, they could have just been guys who saw what was going on and started. Well, when tips, you right? listen to that woman that, yeah. and, you, and you should listen, she's talking about them high-fiving and being extremely happy. And you notice that they took their faces out. Were they mm -hmm. smiling about it? I think that that would be a bad look no matter what. You know what I'm saying? If Israeli operatives were filming and smiling as the attacks happened. But here, let's just get into the uh, explosion on King Street. Brown. So again, you know, I also get into Amdocs and Converse because Fox at the time, Carl Cameron especially, had done this large piece on perhaps how this network was infiltrating all these places and they were using uh, phone records. Now, long before the NSA or even Hefting versus AT&T and Secret Ser uh, Services, you had uh, Secret Servers, I'm sorry. You had Amdocs and Converse and Amdocs and Converse basically had records of all these different phone interactions. So it wasn't say plugging into conversations, but you could tell who was calling who and when they were calling them. And they were using that information to find these places and then infiltrate them. 
So, so is the fi is the final sort of, and we're going to do this is only episode one. Is the final is the final assumption mm -hmm. according to your research, mm -hmm. and and the final assumption um, according to people that that sort of uh, are on your sort of team here in, in terms of like through their research, is is the final assumption that the Israelis and U.S. elements within U.S. intelligence uh, decided to come up with an operation that would give them an excuse to invade uh, countries like Iraq so that they could control the Middle East is, is, or neutralize that's, the Middle that's East. That's a big part of it, but at the same time, also institute what we have now. Remember, I, we talked about that Newsweek article. Well, that doesn't happen without DHS. And the Department of Homeland Security and that apparatus being built, and now the coming out party of the National Security Agency. And back in, for instance, under when we were just showing George Bush way back in the day with the mask and stuff, there was a thing called the National Programs Office. And that office was sort of a part of the continuity of government program. Well, with the help of Dick Cheney, Paul Wolfowitz, Donald Rumsfeld, a lot of precursors to this yeah. neocon movement they gave themselves a lot more power through the NPO. And I actually cover that in Fabled Enemy. So what I really think is, other than just, you know, these, you know, neocon interests, you were able to, you know, legitimize a security state here and set up for what we have now is leaving everybody as a domestic terrorist, unfortunately, Brian. And, you know, so, I, so this was in a way of control, but, but there had to see, I always look at what is the ultimate? So, so why? What is the interest? Where, where is the? Where, where does Pakistan and Saudi Arabia? What interest does it serve them to to help the United States do this? Is it? Is it that they then get money to fight terrorism? Is well, you all, have the petrodollar, right? And yeah. Pakistan kind of on both ends, right? You can okay. claim as the villain, but not enough people know about them, so they can also be the hero, right? You, you have this again that whole relationship is kind of shepherded after World War II with even British intelligence, right? And then it grows throughout the 70s, that network of the Pakistani ISI. In my mind, I look at kind of this Saudi-Israeli-Anglo alliance there. And when you look at not only uh, the global spectrum dominance aspect of it, of taking over Afghanistan, of Iraq, of wanting to be in Syria, of assisting Saudi Arabia with what's going on in Yemen, which is really just an extension of ours, you have all that, but you also get to play with the new toys, right? Like, like I talked about with Annie Jacobson, uh, her work in First Platoon, you, people have dehumanized them to the point where they're not human beings or considered that here, right? We don't even blink an eye with the horrendous yes. things that have happened over there. Yes. So even when you talk about what happened at Guantanamo Bay and what they were doing mind control wise, they were doing sensory deprivation out in the open. Well, people, people were killing themselves. I mean, look, what was happening in Guantanamo Bay and, and what was happening in these black sites was oh. it's a stain, it's a stain on American on American history. I agree. And and, and, and a lot of these a lot of these CIA operatives, uh, FBI guys were were probably, I believe they were patriots. They they were probably I think this was fly by the seat of your pants, and a lot of guys without oversight. We're taking liberties. We have extraordinary rendition where, where we were bringing fucking people to other countries where they could be tortured and we turned a blind eye. This has been a stain on, we were at war. I think people were terrified and we really, we really did questionable, immoral, unethical things. And I don't think there's any mystery about that. And I think that has to be exposed and taken into account, right? And it has been to an Jason. extent, maybe not enough, right? Well, who's um, gone to jail? Jason, I wanna ask you a question. Hold who's hey, gone Jason, to jail? That's I wanna a big ask question. you a question real quick, yeah. Jason. 
Uh, did you hear any information? Did you discover any information that Mossad was actually working with these quote unquote terrorists in the United States and kind of tipping them onto when, uh, if if the FBI or anyone was getting close to them, so they could be so they could be one step ahead of uh, any kind of law enforcement. No tips, but uh, if you read that uh, report, a lot of them did mirror their locations. They were living like a block or two away from some of these guys. So that is uh, one of the more interesting aspects. And you know, talk about punishment. We did punish somebody. We punished John Kariaku, who blew the whistle on it. You know, and that's the scary part is that the people that are, are blowing the whistle and understand that these things are inhumane um, are, are punished, right? I mean, come on, you look at what's happening even today with Snowden and, uh, and uh, obviously Assange over the top. You know, that's why I, I never got behind this, you know, superheroes on message boards and white hats coming to save us or Bill Barr was legitimate. I mean, that's a career CIA guy. You know, that's a co the cover-up crew from Iran-Contra. That's a guy that laughed when uh, he was asked about Ghislaine Maxwell and whether or not she would commit suicide after Epstein had to kill himself twice. Like, I mean, he laughed on camera, you know, that's where we're at. So to me, Brian, I, I think- Do you think we, she's actually in jail? I do. I, I mean, I, whether she's being treated very well, whether she's got like an Epstein deal, um, you know, they got Nygaard off the streets, whatever's happening there. I think that right now they're, they're tying up their loose ends. Lord knows what's going to happen, but I don't, I also don't think that you know, anybody's above being burned at least a certain level, right? And that's why it's important to do things like this, because if there's enough public pressure, if there's enough public information out there, like, I feel like it would be a hard sell for Joe Biden if half the country <laughs> knew that he covered up one of the money men behind 9-11 and then told the guy to get a life and it was classified. You know, that's just me. Um, maybe, you know, maybe I'm being naive, but you know, when you talk about all these things, you know, to sum it up, Brian, I think that you had an international intelligence operation where you had Israelis on the ground, possibly with some of their explosives. Again, that who knows there. I think that you had an apparatus that was shepherding a lot of these hijackers. I think they were absolutely little networks of four or five of them doing various things, whether they were all drug running or doing that. I don't know, but definitely training to hijack planes, uh, doing the flight school thing, whether that's kind of them setting up their mythos or not is almost a moot point. That's what they were brought in to do. I think that you have to facilitate those with war games. Again, you have Global Guardian, you have all these Armageddon exercises. And then to me, it's just like, it's too coincidental that two of the Armageddon planes, the E-4Bs are on camera as the attacks happen. Like so final, final question, final question before we get, this has just been volume one, guys. We, we might even have a volume three. We're, Jason, Jason's done a lot of research and I love going down the rabbit hole here. Uh -huh. but, but a final, final question, what, to what degree, if any, or to what degree would you say, um, is people like me who are in the camp that says, I believe that the Islamic fundamentalism was a very real threat, continues to be, but especially back then it was, it was organized and you had people willing to take their own life for a cause, which is a very difficult enemy to fight. Uh, to what degree did this group called Al Qaeda uh, and Islamic fundamentalism play in the 9-11 tragedies? I think more than likely a marginal one. Uh, I think that there was absolutely some motivation behind at least some of the hijackers thinking that's, that's what they were doing. Um, I absolutely don't want to downgrade the idea that terrorism does exist, but to me on much lower operational levels, what does that mean? That means 
you know, you look at something, even though, even something like Mumbai has its, uh, you know, issues with outstanding yeah. intelligence. Oh yeah. Right, frankly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, that's more of that level where we arm a bunch of guys and we go in and we take things out. Right. Even you could go back to even the PLO, right. And the incident in the Olympics and how the guys that survived got to land and the, the Germans helped them. It's like, what was going on there? I think what, what you have going on, Brian, is those type of low level attacks can happen when you have something that is as coordinated and you need so many mistakes, especially with the largest military industrial complex out there. And then you see the shepherding and protecting of these people. You look at John O'Neill, you look at Able Danger, you look at all the FBI stuff, you look at um, being on US intelligence bases, you look at another unit being on the ground and being investigated, in some cases being picked up prior to 9-11. You look at hijackers that day on separate flights that weren't part of the four that got off a plane after they they wouldn't take off and then they go into their suitcases and they have the same exact thing they supposedly found in Ada's suitcase that didn't make it on flight 11. You Which know? by the way was, was explained as they chickened out, right? Yeah, well, it's tough because you know that one didn't make it on but then they wanna tell you that I believe it was, um, what is it? Al Gamdi's passport, Sawaf Al Gamdi's passport makes it through. <laughs> The 9-11 attacks is found in New York City. That's pretty unbelievable. When is, is that somebody, true? Is that true? Oh, 100%. They, listen, not only that. Brian, the idea would be that then that, that the plane blew up and because it was within all that paper that went flying, the, the passport was one of them? Yes. Brian, let me show you something even wilder, okay, uh, And as evidence that these people used. I'm just, hopefully I'll be able to bring it up and we'll do it live here. Was that debunked though, um, Jason, the passport thing? Was that, was that accepted as true or was that considered a forgery debunked uh no, they, they presented it in court okay they did so there were trials for yes for, for who, who is they who is they the u.s government or i believe it was the fbi during the masawi trials but let me see if i can bring this up because i think it's so is... weird that they found a fucking passport <laughs> in that inferno that that's so man it's uh man I, am i gonna God, so much is scrubbed from the internet, but we're still gonna find we're still gonna do it. I know, dude. It's straight up 1984, man. They it's just get because... rid of information. But dude. but but Jason, isn't it true? Are you worried? Because what I'm worried about, to be completely honest with you, dude, is when we start talking is that about your this... whole reality is shattering right no, now. No, no. Is that what you're worried about? No, I what I you worry... believe in is crashing and burning. No, I worry that you can with, with this so much information. And like anything, when you're looking for something and looking to put certain pieces together and not other pieces, this is a tendency that all of us have, that we are, we are, we are painting a lot of this conspiracy stuff. And I'm, I know this is going to trigger Sam, and I don't mean it to be because I know Sam's the fucking one of the best people in the world. And he, Sam is a, a, a not doesn't have a prejudice bone in his fucking body. He I really want to fuck black chicks. That's how I know you don't. And you don't have a prejudice bone in your body. <laughs> what I worry about, Jason, is when we start talking about Israelis and dancing Israelis. Oh, at sure. the end of the day, this is this starts to become this anti-Semitic sort of Brian. Brian, world. I got to answer that. It. I think it's important to address because listen, yeah. Brian. For me, it's the craziest thing in the world, right? Because on one end you got the people that want to say I'm anti-Semitic for bringing that up. And then on the other end, I have people that deny that I even put that out in 2008 because they want to pay me up as a Mossad agent. I think that if you cannot, you can't um, win. 
Well, well, the thing is, if you can't criticize nation states and government organizations that have committed criminal acts, and you can just call that racist just because it's a certain nation state or a um, certain organization like the Mossad, I liken it to this. I love this country in America, right? That doesn't mean I like the neocons and Bush and all those guys. And I and I constantly am talking about the CIA, NSA, and all those apparatuses. Um, I, I, and I, the other thing is, I don't think there's one group in charge either. You know, I, I think that a lot of this is, yes, certain groups vying uh, for power. Well, one group is not in charge. One, yeah. That's always been my, my, my argument against conspiracy theorists is I, I don't think one group is in charge. I think there are a lot of different competing interests here. That's why, that's why the idea that the elements in intelligence uh, that would commit high treason, I mean, this is, this is penalty. You die if you get caught doing this. Um, it's, it's really, really Brian? hard. For me. Yes, really, so Brian. Who 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 gets killed? Here's the thing, Brian. What what you do right here, and I love you to death. I know that you don't mean to do it, but you really do this. You play into identity politics very much. When you start saying if you criticize a foreign government, you are entering into anti-Semitism. That has been done purposefully. I'm so not saying that, Sam. I'm, I'm just hold on, hold on. Let me finish up. my thought, yeah. dude. I've said yeah, three yeah. words on this podcast because right. I've allowed you to just get your ass reamed by Burmese, okay? So here's what I'm saying Burmese. to you, dude. Okay? So here's what's going on. Burmese, sorry. What the, the difference is that one is a government. The other one is a group of people. And then another one is a fucking religious fucking paradigm. Okay. And when you start to blend the two, where if you question a government, you're questioning a group of people and a religion that is straight up identity politics. That's a good point. And that is done purposefully to cover up a group of people who have done stuff that's That's no different than the questioning the U.S. government. Israelis, I know a lot of them. They're good people. Are there crazies? Of course. Just like the United States bombarded with propaganda to get them to dehumanize another group of people to allow a government to commit war atrocities against another group of people. So when you question Israelis' government, it is not anti-Semitism because that is a fucking government institution it is I'm a just, totally uh, sam, different sam I, I hear you 100 i knew you would you would come you would say that and i and i and i hear you and i and i understand that and i truly believe that you believe that and and what i just wanted to do i i, I just like to bring that up so that we can make sure that that isn't what we're doing and 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 uh and i think you made a good did a good job of making that distinction because that's something that I do worry about. And I, and I think we have to be very careful with these theories and this information, man. We have to. It's, it's a responsibility. I don't understand it, why, dude. Well, let me say you, I really the Israeli don't, government, guys, the Israeli government did actually warn us about hijackings. I think it was two to four weeks before the attacks, too. That's actually yeah. something that we covered, uh, I believe, in yeah. the like, second edition of Loose Change. And you know, just to show everybody where the mythos of the hijackers and red bandanas and the Paul Greengrass film comes from, here it is. Uh, this is their government exhibit. And uh, the thing about this is, that's cartoon level, is, all right, if the hijackers are wearing it while they're hijacking it, where's the blood? Where's that? Where's where's the burn marks? Where's the incineration? Yeah, I mean, just you found a red bandana, and this is proof that four hijackers in Shanghai. Is that true? Is that is that that evidence? is what they use in the Misawi trial, and they say that is the red bandana, absolutely one hundred percent flight. So a 90. red bandana survived that inferno. 
Well, it, no, no, this is not World Trade Center one or two. This is the one that survived uh, being supposedly downed in an open field in Shanksville. And let's show people uh, wow. how big that wow. was really quick. This is the crater next to me. Now it's not, I mean, it's small, man. That's where they say that whole plane disappeared. And again, New Baltimore, eight and a half miles later, you can see the papers and the pieces of the plane in the back of a church. Like, like the, this lady laid it out. It's all there. We've been lied to on so many levels on this. Um, I want to thank you, you know, not only for the kindness of doing this, but for listening to me. And I, I really do hope that you at least check out that whole film because I think that it's going to- You're saying the film Loose Change or-, or Not Loose Change. Uh, although, uh, listen, Loose Change is great, but that's all the physical anomaly stuff. Let's argue about that later, right? Because you can argue that to death. I would encourage people um, to check out my, my buddy, Dylan, who I did these films with. Uh, he just did a film on the Fairbanks, Alaska study on Building 7. Never uses the term controlled demolition. We don't talk about 9-11 as an incident. It's basically these people at Fairbanks, Alaska that have the physics degrees doing models and doing a, uh, it's about a 45 minute doc. It's out there. It does a great job. When we talk about Building 7 and Fabled Enemies. I just interview one of the guys that got blown up in it. There's two people that got rescued from Building 7, Barry Jennings, and the right-hand man of uh, Giuliani at the time, whom I'm no fan of, by the way, uh, a guy named Michael Hess. I contacted both. Michael Hess never got back to me. Uh, Barry Jennings did. So, you know, I would just tell people- I remember that. Out. I remember when they, they started to feel the building shift and they got out of there. I remember well, that. Well, he, was, was... he was trapped. His story is really interesting. They were going yeah. to the Federal Emergency Management Agency that had that bunker in there before it was, uh, bl again, I'll let, them, I'll let them tell their story because Michael Hess actually also gets interviewed and I put that in there as well. And they have, he have- Doesn't he have, doesn't he walk with a really bad limp now or something? He was trapped under the rubble or something, Hess, I think. Hess, I have no idea what happened to him other than he stayed in government. Barry Jennings, after we interviewed him, he went on the BBC, recanted what he said, even though we put the entire video out for free. And then he was dead within a year of fast acting leukemia. Hmm. You know, and I, <laughs> I got to jump, guys. I, I love listen, you guys. Yes. It gets deep. Deep waters, baby. This is why we call it AK Brian, Deep Waters. Brian, Brian, I hope you enjoyed this. I mean. I, I'm looking forward to episode two. Jason Burmas. Uh, thank you Burmes. for your... I keep saying Burmese. Burmese. Yes. I'm sorry, Jason. Stan, you know thanks I for love bringing Jason on. Jay, this is what this is about. This is this 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 shit is so great. I'm actually. You guys will be proud. I got a Michael Shermer has a thing on conspiracy theories. It's a course where you can actually learn what to believe in, what not to believe in, and why. He's a skeptic. He's on my. I'm on his side. I tend to be on his side. I think conspiracy theories are way much way harder to pull off than people give him credit for, which is why I don't believe in them typically. But I think there is something in this 9-11 situation that has not been ultimately exposed enough. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to getting down, going down. Even Brian, the Brian, you're like the Drake meme. This is you to everything in 9-11 right here. This is, <laughs> this is Brian draking yeah. everything in 9-11. And that, by the way, it's in the shoulder roll. That's also what Mayweather, that's how Mayweather keeps from getting hit. So, dude, you yeah, got me yeah, right there. Yeah, bro. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Jason, so one more time. Tell them where they can find you. Yeah, rockfin.com slash Jason Burmis. But if you want to get me at me over at YouTube, because we need to bring the people in that watch the cat videos too, uh, youtube.com slash InfoWarrior. I'm at Jason Burmis 
over on Twitter. And look, all my stuff is free. All my documentary films, whether it be Loose Change, Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, A New World Order Defined, and Shade the Motion Picture. I want you to watch those films. Debunk me. I'll have the open debate. I want to talk to more people that don't necessarily think that I like I do because that's how we talk to one another. We don't cancel one another. Just like Brian said in the very beginning, the key to bad speech is more speech and yes. when you can have a conversation with somebody else both of you can learn from that from that experience right 100 percent, man this is this is what it's about so i'm looking forward to uh to talking more this has been volume one volume one with jason Burmis. we will be back my favorite part of this podcast back. is where we saw kid dynamite's chi-chi's that was my I favorite know. part of this podcast. pretty good right um, dude we may have to do this right we, i mean i feel like tuesday can you come back next week i want to keep this going i don't want to lose momentum yeah tuesday's fine Brian, you uh, just, just like that i don't time. talk that's the reason you like it because you don't let me talk and you just want to you want to oh, ice me oh, out yeah, because i've been vampires. crushing your asshole for every fucking episode no because you get into black brotherhood and and the lizard king and i can't get involved in that <laughs> jason keeps it grounded dude come on all right listen all right guys i love you guys so very fun. much thank you so much See you guys in Houston. See you wherever Brian's going. Please check out Jason on Rockfin, and we'll do it again soon. Thank you guys so much. Hey, give us five-star reviews on hey. on, on iTunes yes. or Apple Podcasts, whatever they're calling it now. Yes. Hey, Jay, uh, remember, we're going to be exclusively on Rockfin starting in July. Uh, Anthony, uh, okay, so thanks, everybody. We'll see you later. People ask, is everything a conspiracy? The answer is yes. Who and what is controlling everything and why they they practice sorcery i can't argue against magic <laughs> i don't know what it is that we live on but i believe it's a realm this realm that we live in is the lowest level of heaven highest level of hell chicken snake gods and the anunnaki and sorcery if sam says the chicken snake god is running everything I'm literally in the world of crazy. <laughs> I'm winning. <laughs> You're losing. Conspiracy Social Club, aka Deep Waters. Deep Waters. Deep Waters. Deep Waters.